today we are going to continue our journey through the prophet's writings, the prophet by the name of Habakkuk. And we have been looking at what it means to ask the tough questions, especially in difficult times, in difficult situations. Is it a lack of faith? Does it show a lack of faith when we have these moments of doubt, these moments of anxiety, when we, when we just wonder what God is doing, or we, we believe, but we just wonder how he's going to possibly work out this impossible situation? Well, I want you to know that I believe those moments of doubt, those moments of question are not a lack of faith, but they can be faith builders. They can contribute to our faith because we go to the one we know has the answers. That's faith. We go to the Lord with our doubts, with our fears, with those questions. We're open. We're candid. We go to him and spill our guts because we know he cares. We know he cares. That's faith. We don't know how. We don't know when. We don't know why we're in the situation. But we believe God does know, and that's all that matters. We rest in the faith and the fact that we have a God who cares and wants to share in our hearts. Burying the questions and not asking, asking really, really shows evidence that we really don't want to know. We don't want to know what God thinks. Folks, we do want to know what God thinks. We do. So let's join Habakkuk where we left him last week. And I'm going to invite you to do something. We're, we're uh, going to go through the first part of this sermon as more of an overview. And, and I want you to watch and listen for three key verses that will be the answer to the last three questions on the outline. And those three verses will give us everything we need to know when we're going through difficult times. Would you please stand? This is a fairly lengthy passage. Uh, so... Physically, uh, uh, if you're able to stand, that's fine. If not, please feel free to remain seated. We're in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We're going to take the entire chapter. And we join Habakkuk where we left him. I will take up my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk has offered his second complaint. And he's anticipating God's response to that complaint. And I want to point out one little error in what I think is Habakkuk's mindset. And this is something we need to be careful of. I need to be careful of as a pastor. So what's he doing? I look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Be careful we don't get ahead of the answer. You see it? So, so Habakkuk is already thinking about how he's going to respond to the answer instead of intently listening to the answer. Does that make sense, Pastor? that makes sense? <laughs> I think it's a danger for all of us. All right, let's join the text. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me. Hey, how about that? Write the vision, make it plain on tablets. He who, may, who, he who may run, who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So what's God saying? Write and wait. 
right and wait. Behold, his soul is puffed up. Speaking of Babylon again, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his, as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly rise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. This is called payback. Payback. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have fortified your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts? that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Remember, the right arm of the Lord is his strength. And that's where the wrath is going to come from. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as well as the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of men and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. This is exciting stuff, isn't it? Aren't you encouraged already? What profit is an idol when, it makes, when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, is it overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. I hope you found the three verses of hope, because that's the third one, I'll tell you right now. Let's pray. Father, we bit off a chunk this morning. And I pray that you will give us understanding as we move over through this text. Father, what is your application for each of us today? There's a purpose for this text for each of us. How will we respond? What will it mean to us? How will we be changed because of it? Only you know that. And only you can do that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated and thank you for your patience and reading a rather lengthy text. One of the things, I've had this in my, my library for years. It actually uh, lays on my desk, or at least in the top, dress, top desk drawer. And it's seven things to consider before preaching a sermon. Number one, am I worried about what people think of my message or what God thinks? Point, teach with fear. Number two, do I genuinely love these people? Teach with love. Am I accurately presenting the passage? Teach 
with accuracy. Am I depending on the Holy Spirit's power or my own cleverness? Teach with power. Have I applied this message to my own life? Teach with integrity. Will this message draw attention to me or to God? Teach with humility. And number seven, do the people really need this message? Teach with urgency. I would like every pastor to have this little seven-point questionnaire before them when they prepare a sermon. It has been valuable to me, and I hope that I have been obedient to it, even in my humanness. I believe this is an urgent message. A larger portion of text than we normally deal with, so let's get into it right now. Overview of the text with a grand finale and three points that give us comfort and hope. Point number one in our preaching overview, Habakkuk anticipates an answer. He anticipates an answer. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. In other words, Habakkuk is is using the walled city as his illustration. And in the walls of this city, the walls that would protect the inhabitants, there were watchtowers, the highest points on the wall. And that's where the the lookout would be posted. Now, I don't believe, I, I personally don't believe that that he has taken his prayer position there. I think this is analogous. I think he's, he's comparing what he's doing to the watchman. And folks, the point of this is we need to bear, be in a proper prayer position. And that's not a physical location or a physical stance. It is a heart condition. We need to be positionally situated to hear what God has to say in response to our prayers. It is like the prophet's description of this, this position is, is not literal but spiritual. It's, it's like a sentinel standing in a watchtower to detect the first signs of an approaching enemy. And Habakkuk is looking out for the first sign of God's voice back to him. When you pray, I would ask this question and a question that I must answer along with you. Are we positioned spiritually in a ready and anticipating state to hear from the God of heaven and earth? Do we anxiously await his response when we offer our petitions to him? Number two, God addresses the prophet's complaint. And I love this in verse two, and this is, this is we'll just read a portion of this passage, and the Lord answered me. What a profound statement. A profound statement, and the Lord answered me. Folks, do we understand the magnitude of that simple statement? The prophet has just heard from the God of the universe. He has heard and listening to the creator of all that is and the sustainer of what he has established. Does that just blow your mind? And the Lord answered me. I would like to know how many millions of people were praying at the same time that we've been praying through our service here this morning. How many? And God heard every one of them. Never missed a lick. That's just mind-boggling to me, but I know that it's true. This is, this is, this is faith. God gives a clear revelation. Right and wait. God does not mumble. He spoke clearly. 
with forthrightness. He told Habakkuk to write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablets. And then he, he mentions that it needs to be firmly and clearly recorded because the heralder, the one that would proclaim this message, would run with the tablet. And this is the, the proclamation of what God has said. So write it down. Don't worry about the timing yet. Write and wait, which brings us to the second subpoint. It's not only clear, it's certain. It's certain. Every prophetic revelation demands a certain degree of patience. One must wait for its fulfillment. God's words to Habakkuk were reassuring. The revelation awaits an appointed time. Isn't that beautiful? God doesn't arbitrarily just throw this stuff out there and, and see how it all washes out. It's by divine design, and it's right on time in every situation. It was clear. It was certain. Unfortunately, it was condemning. God gives his summary in this condemnation of a conceited character, the character of Babylon. He's puffed up. One writer says, like a bloated toad. Has your dog, everybody got a dog in here that's ever ate a toad or tried to? I love that. You know, and you'd think they learn. I think our dogs ate three or four of them or, or tried to. But, you know, they come back and are frothing at the mouth and stuff and everything. But now you know what a bloated toad is, you know. So, and that's what Babylon is compared to. They were swollen with pride and evil passage, uh, passions. Their desires were not upright. And Yahweh then declares that a, that a righteous person, by contrast to the Babylonians, will live by faith. We'll live by faith. Point number three. God adds confirmation for the necessity of judgment. Now, this passage covers verses 6 through 20. I would encourage you to review that. We will not read that passage again. But within that passage, there are five woes. And that's what we will cover in the time that we have this morning. This focuses on five woes, and I want you to know something. When God says woe, he's not saying whoa. He's saying woe. But you better look up, and you better look out when God says woe, because judgment is coming. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah notes by pronouncing a series of woe oracles against the Babylonians for their greed, their self-reliance, their violence, their arrogance, and their idolatry, the Lord signals that he will judge Judah's enemy after he has used the Babylonians to discipline his own people. Recap very quickly. The northern kingdom falls to Assyria. The southern kingdom is going to fall to the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are first going to conquer Assyria before they move south into Judah. Once they get into Judah and they conquer Judah, it's going to be seven years before the Medo-Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians. Are you with me? <laughs> the judgment's coming. And it's going to begin, New Testament passage verifies this, it will begin with the house of God. Judgment's coming. And it's going to first begin with the house of God. And once judgment has been administered on the house of God with this evil empire, which Habakkuk really doesn't like, God's going to get the final word on the evil empire. So let's go over the woes. First in verse 6, Woe to him who increases what is not his. Enriching yourself by stealing and taking advantage of others will always bring ultimate woe. 
Secondly, in verse 9, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. This is a warning against building up our assets wrongly and believing that this will somehow provide a safe and secure future for us. Third woe, verse 12, where the Lord says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. This speaks of a political leader who will do anything to achieve power, regarding, uh, disregarding those who are hurt as collateral damage. How often have we seen that happen? The fourth woe, verse 15, is a pronouncement upon the one who gets his neighbor drunk to take advantage of him. And that, and this obviously specifically deals with alcohol, but it can be any form of deception. Any form of deception or, or something that would cause the neighbor to be vulnerable to being taken advantage of. Final woe, pronounced in verse 19, the Lord said, Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to a silent stone, arise, it shall teach. This is an indictment against the foolishness of idolatry as man worship material things rather than the God who made them. Romans chapter 1, review it. It would be a good review in context here where man is worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Folks, we look at these and we say, oh, I don't know. I don't necessarily fall in any one of those categories. Beware. Beware. Usually the thing, that we, the thing that we think we're most above, we're closest to falling into. It is really idolatry. I believe that is the reason behind all other woes and behind the materialistic society in which we live. We value things over people, and the result is devastating and destructive. The woes of the world spring forth from our warped priorities. But here it comes, verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there are dark days ahead for the kingdom of Judah, God's people. But we will see in just a moment in our closing points, God's people do not focus on the darkness, but on the God who delivers us out of the darkness and into his glorious light. The current and continuing trend of a culture around us that is dark, that is evil. You know, I'm, I, I never thought I'd be hearing these words. I don't know why. I mean, we all grow old, but I'm, I, I'm, we're not old. We're advancing in years, right, George? Yeah. Old is another whole category. We're just advancing in years. And I know this probably doesn't, this, this is a, probably a risky thing to say. But I'm really kind of glad my life is towards the later end. Does that make sense? And that's not a death wish. That's not a fatalistic view of life by no means. But I, I, I fear for the next generation and, and the generation after that. I, I'm concerned about what kind of a world they're going to have to live in. But folks, we can make a difference right now in that regard. We can make a difference. We, we can be the light that God calls us to be. Parents raising children, hear me please, you must guard yourselves against the darkness. You must position yourself in the watchtower of your homes. 
You must position yourself in a prayer position to provide that protection, that blanket of spiritual covering over your children. And I, and I would say that that's one of the reasons, if not the key reason, that this church has, has supported a Christian school. Folks, be in prayer over this. I will support parents no matter what decision they make. That's a parental right. Praise God. Do we know that? The government's telling us that's not true. You understand that? We believe in parental rights, and we will support parental decisions. But stand in the watchtower. Take up your position over your family. Let's take these last three points in summary. Remember the three points we were to watch for. Did anybody get them? What three verses? Nobody got them. Becky doesn't. That's a failing grade. Give you a three-point multiple-choice question. No, it's a little harder than that, I realize. Point number one, folks, and if you don't remember anything else out of this message this morning, remember these three things the righteous or just shall live by faith. Verse 4. The just or righteous shall live by faith. This is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, folks. Romans 1.17. Paul quotes this verse with an emphasis on the just or the righteous. In Galatians 3, he quotes this verse with an emphasis on shall live. In Hebrews 10 and 38, the emphasis is on by faith. It's throughout the scripture, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 4 describes two kinds of people, the puffed up and the righteous, the arrogant and the just. And he says there should be a distinct difference between the two because my people will live by faith. Folks, do we hear that? It's important that we lay hold of that truth. The Chaldeans were the ones who were puffed up for their, for their victories and their false sense of security, not realizing that it was God who enabled them to conquer in the first place. I want to mention these five things. Faith, faith, four things actually. Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. Can we all believe that? He is too wise too perfect to make a mistake. Secondly, faith believes that God always knows best and does best in his time. Do we believe that? Faith point number three. Faith believes that God is in control and therefore we can rest easily. Do we believe that? And point four of the faith Faith believes that when we cannot trace the hand of God, we must trust the heart of God. And that's critical. That's critical. Those four points of faith. Point number two, key verse, not only will the just live by faith, but the earth shall be filled with God's glory. Guys, he wins. Matter of fact, he's already won. He, he was always a winner. He doesn't have to establish his victory. He just has to reveal it. It's already been won. The earth will be filled with his glory. The earth in Habakkuk's day was certainly not filled with much glory. It was filled with five woes. 
It was a terrible situation. It was a corrupt generation. But, but as we see, it had violence and covetousness and murder and drunkenness and idolatry. They were very, the, the very sins that were polluting our nation today. And God hates these sins. But folks, he isn't going to ignore them. He's going to judge them. The earth will be filled with the glory of God someday. But right now, at this very moment, his glory should be seen in his church. In his people, we should be reflecting the glory that will someday fill all nations right now. Folks, we're okay and we're going to be okay because God said so. Amen? Believe it. Trust him. And number three, the third verse, which I mentioned as we close a little bit ago with the, with the final verses. The Lord is in his holy temple. What does that mean? He's in his holy temple. Where was the Ark of the Covenant kept? You know, in the Holy of Holies. Where did the presence of God rest? On the Ark of the Covenant. What did that mean? He's in charge. He's in command. He's ruling over nations. God is still on the throne, Isaiah 6. When Isaiah was given the vision of, of a, a, when heaven was unzipped before him, he come unzipped before heaven. Literally, that's what the text means. Woe is me. He said, I'm, I'm like a man of unclean lips. I have seen the glory of God, and he comes undone. In other words, he come unzipped, and all of his innards fell out. It's a great passage. We have no need to complain. We have no need to complain. We have no need to complain. We have no need to doubt. For God is ruling and overruling in the affairs of nations. God is not uninterested, as Habakkuk questioned. He's not insensitive to the problems of our life. But the prophet discovered that God was very much concerned and that he was already working it out according to his own plan in his own time. That is why the just shall live by faith. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for we walk by faith, not by sight. If we look at ourselves or our circumstances, we'll probably suffer from discouragement, and maybe even want to quit. But if we look up to God in faith and ahead to the glorious return of Christ, then we'll be encouraged. We'll be encouraged. Folks, we close chapter 2 with those three points. Live by faith. The earth will be filled with God's glory. And no matter what's going on around you, the Lord is in his holy temple. He's got everything under control. Now I admit, as many of you can attest to and testify to, sometimes that's hard to see. And this is where we landed last week, in an honest struggle before God. Remember, don't struggle with God. But it's okay to struggle with things before God. If you struggle with him, he's going to knock your hip out of joint. Right? But it's okay to struggle with things before God. 
We've looked at an evil nation. We've looked at God's people coming under judgment. We've looked at darkness. We've looked at rampant sin and violence and idolatry and drunkenness and nakedness. We've looked at all of these things, you know, and we say, well, what's that got to do to me? With me, it has everything to do with us. Because without Christ, we're poor, wretched, naked, and blind. It is us. It is us that deserved God's judgment, but he gave us grace. And he put the judgment on his son. Come on, folks. Jesus took the judgment that we deserved. And God gave us grace that would save us. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're going through, there is a God who cares. He is listening. Position yourself so that you may see and hear his answer. Don't just throw it out there and see if it sticks to the wall. That's not prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer is a very focused time, a very personal, intimate time where we are discerning the will and the ways of the Most High God. That's mind-warping. But it's possible. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then your prayers aren't getting very far. That's reality. He is our great high priest, the one by whom we go through to access the throne of grace. No one goes to the Father except through the Son. Father, we thank you for this day, for the time that we've had, for the word that you have given us, the living, active, double-edged word. We thank you that it's real, that it's powerful, that it's relevant. And Father, there may be someone here that's in that dark moment, that, that moment of despair, that moment where they just can't seem to see you because of the fog of their situation. Father, let your light be shown to that person this morning. Speak to their heart right now and let them know just how much you care. And if their heart's broken, yours is breaking with them. Thank you that we have a Savior who understands, who, who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we have our song of invitation. If you would like prayer this morning, please come forward. We'd be glad to kneel at the altar of grace with you, to pray alongside you. But whatever is going on in your life, or maybe it's concern over a nation, maybe it's concern, we don't know. But I do know this, there's a God who cares, and we need to take it to him. Let's sing.